From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. This year was Kathleen Kerrigan's 10-year anniversary as a judge on the United States Tax Court, and she celebrated that milestone by being named the court's chief judge, a title she officially assumed this summer. But the court Kerrigan is in charge of now is very, very different than the one she joined back in 2012. And a big reason for that change is the COVID-19 pandemic. Going remote was difficult for the entire judicial system, but especially for tax courts since, as you'll hear, Remotely filing sensitive financial information can be a challenge. Judge Kerrigan joins us on Talking Tax this week for an exclusive interview about where she wants to take the court and about how it's adapting to the social distancing world we now live in. Bloomberg tax reporter Aisha Bagchi asked her about her priorities, and she said she doesn't have priorities so much as one overarching goal. And that is to help the court living with COVID. How do we get back to moving with more in-person trials? But I don't think we're going back completely the way we were. And how do we kind of balance everything out? And I think everybody is figuring out how we how we live with COVID and how we how we move forward. Another goal is to try to, and I'm not sure the best way to do this, but I think um, we're making progress is by the judges talking to the parties is to increase our electronic filers for 2021. We were 83 percent paper. We're now 17 percent, and those facts are for petitions. So usually if the petitions, that is the rest of the case, it's electronically. Um, Personally, I've put in my orders, why don't you try filing electronically? Here's how you go about and do it. And especially, but it didn't always work. Parties that I did um, remote trials with, I knew they had computer access because they were doing Zoom. So I'd kind of be like, why don't you become a remote filer? And that worked in some situations. It didn't work in others. Um, but electronic filings are on the rise for petition. But I'd like to get, you know, now that we take petitions electronically since we started Dawson, I'd like to get that number a lot higher. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. I know there has been a huge spike in the number of petitions that have been filed at the court during the pandemic. Has that continued uh, to this day? And is the court looking at any options to streamline or to more efficiently resolve cases to try to handle that ballooning docket? I think what we're doing is things were just not being processed. We had that time period probably from March to June and 2020 during COVID. And I also think the IRS fell behind. So we're kind of, I think we're going to see a trend where it's balancing out a bit. We'll have to see how many cases move forward. We're running a little bit behind and I don't have exact numbers, but all my colleagues were noticing that um, some cases that are on the calendar were getting a request for a continuance and the continuance reason for the continuance is the parties haven't finished at appeals yet and they think they can settle. So we're seeing some So we're granting those continuances. And for a lot of those cases, those are going away because they're being resolved at appeals. I want to ask about access to tax court records. Some practitioners have told me that they've noticed tax court judges redacting information in some taxpayer petitions or sealing coal petitions when there's information there that was not properly redacted. And 
I'm wondering, is that something that individual judges are doing kind of on an ad hoc basis, or is it part of a more generalized effort by the court to to handle this issue while still keeping taxpayer filings publicly accessible? Redacting, um, there were a few things I requested the parties to redact just because I, I didn't redact them myself, but I asked for another petition because right in the petition, there was bank account information, the full bank account, the full social security number. And so I was worried about that. And um, so I sealed the petition and asked for another petition. So a lot of judges will do that, but we don't notice it sometimes. And the court has changed how it does things a little bit because, and we're keeping this process in place because if we have to switch to a remote trial quickly, we can. So proposed exhibits are filed electronically instead of getting the exhibits at trial. But if I was at a trial and a party offered an exhibit and right there I see the bank account, I would strike it and the parties would initial it and then we'd admit it that way. But you know, now we're getting remote and sometimes the proposed exhibits that are coming in electronically, they're not offered. So the judge could easily miss something that should be redacted. So we don't, I don't want to put the burden on the judges to do that because we don't know what the parties are sending into us. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes the proposed exhibits don't come in the greatest order and they get straightened out at trial. So there's a lot you might not even look at and that could have a social security number or a bank account on it. And How have remote trials and remote proceedings been going at the court? Can you speak to that and whether it has been helpful, especially for unrepresented taxpayers or or whether the court plans to continue with that? I know you mentioned there might be some shift back to in-person. How is the court thinking about the future around those issues? Well, I think we're still thinking it through and and COVID isn't over yet. So we still in place have the option for a remote trial and we'll have to see if we'll continue to keep that option. But I th- I personally think that option should be only if both parties are in, ag- are in agreement on the remote trial and the judge is in agreement. There may be certain types of trial where the judge would feel like a fraud trial, for example, where a judge might feel I'd much rather do this in person. It gives us flexibility because we've had counsel, taxpayers come down with COVID a few days before the trial and they say, can we switch, can we switch to remote? Um, before COVID, I had a trial where we had a remote witness because he was um, in a halfway house, so we couldn't travel so far. And I think we'd be, you know, we'd be more comfortable and used to the technology because of our experience with remote trials. And I think we're trying to be convenient to the taxpayers and some people still aren't comfortable going to court right now. And we have cities where COVID is higher than other cities. And so I think right now we're just trying to have flexibility to the taxpayer and keep cases cases moving. Now, I, I know all, my, all judges, if they feel uncomfortable once they start a remote trial that this isn't working, they'll tell the parties this isn't working. And I I personally had one trial. I didn't like the setup the taxpayer had, even though I did a call with him beforehand and he told me he was good to go. 
I just said, we're going to, we're going to switch. We're going to delay this two weeks and you're going to come back with a better setup. And he did. Many courts have compulsory alternative dispute resolution programs where mediators may sometimes even volunteer a couple hours to help uh, get a case settled before it has to go to trial. Has the tax court considered adopting a mediation program, something like that? Parties can ask for voluntary non-binding mediation. And I think this has been very successful. For example, I had a case that was set to go to trial about six months after COVID and the parties filed a joint motion for voluntary non-binding mediation and the judges then walled off and then a decision document was submitted. So I never knew what happened in the mediation, but I knew they reached agreement and I no longer had a trial. So I think in times it's, you know, it was very successful. And I think it was also a very good alternative. And we also made it clear when we were asking what parties wanted to do that mediation, they could file a joint motion for mediation. It's part of what I'm wondering, has the court thought about making it mandatory? It sounds not like at this, you- Not at this point. And we still, it's like voluntary. And some courts have mandatory video or phone status conferences periodically before calendar. Whereas my understanding is the tax court requires a motion in order to hold one. Has the court considered mandating those types of conferences to help unrepresented taxpayers in particular prepare their cases or be referred to a clinic? Every judge does things differently. And the pro se taxpayer does get a clinic letter talking about the clinic. They also, the IRS had days where people could have resolution of their case and they were notified of those. And they, and especially in big cities where there's a lot of cases, um, the IRS was good about having those during COVID and they were done remotely. But most judges did do a lot of conference calls with their cases that were scheduled for trial. And some judges did do it on Zoom to have it set up so they could see the taxpayer could use Zoom. I didn't do it that way because I was trying to um, mimic as much as the uh, the court proceeding and they don't see the judge until they're in court. And I had the practice, I did calls before COVID. I did calls with cases that I thought were going to go to trial. So I would know the issues and try to settle a few things in advance with the parties. And uh, is there any work the tax court is doing specifically around enhancing diversity and equity? Yes, we have two things going on. And one of them you can access to our website. We, um, Chief Judge Foley started a program called the Tax Trailblazer Series. And if you haven't seen them, I recommend listening to them. Um, We have featured guest speakers outside the court and we've had speakers within the court, like we had Judge Cohen, Judge Lauber, Judge Gale, Judge Vasquez participate and be interviewed by other judges. As I said, we've had outside speakers who were trailblazers in their field and those are available to the public. They're on our website. And I highly recommend listening. I have, unfortunately, I haven't listened to them all because I tried to listen to them when they were happening, but I know they're on our website so I can catch up. And we also have a diversity in government internship program. We, this is our second year and there's information on that web on our website about that. And that's more for a college level intern. 
than a than a legal inter- than a law school. Just letting them know what the court is and interested, and you know, for somebody who but might be thinking about going to law school, having an opportunity at a court. And we regularly hire people with in, um, interesting and diverse backgrounds, and we continue and outreach efforts. And even the, and I'm going to continue the Trailblazer series. That was Kathleen Kerrigan, Chief Judge of the U.S. Tax Board, speaking with reporter Asia Bobji. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, Patrick Ambrosio, and Jeff Harrington, our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.